This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Okay, I am now about to introduce my friend, New York's friend, Bill Bratton. He was tops in law enforcement. He served two terms as New York City Police Commissioner. He was then Los Angeles Police Commissioner. He began in the United States Army. He was educated in the University of Massachusetts, and he is now about to be on the air with me. Bill Bratton. First, we all know the famous NYPD police commissioner, Bill Bratton, but some of the young kids mightn't know everyone's whole history. Like, tell me, your parents, where were you born? Where are you from? Start from the beginning. How did you start your professional life? Well, you'd have to go back to 1947 when I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, uh, Irish heritage, uh, uh, and uh, been in the police business for over 50 years now and uh, worked in a number of departments that you're aware of, Los Angeles, New York, Boston. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, still, still try, to, try to stay in the game as much as I can. What were your studies? Uh, basically, uh, my uh, uh, college background was in uh, law enforcement, uh, the degree I received through a federally sponsored program in the early 1970s when they were trying to increase the number of college-educated police officers was at uh, the old Boston State Teachers College, and the degree was Bachelor of Science in Law Enforcement. I've attended many uh, police courses over the years, FBI Academy, Police Executive Research Forum. Uh, always sought out whatever educational opportunities I could get that would improve my ability at a uh, three-month program over at the Harvard uh, John F. Kennedy School of Government. So I'm always trying to uh, uh, stay informed about the profession that I'm in and contribute to that profession wherever I can, whenever I can. So how did you get into the NYPD from Boston? How did that happen? It was actually carefully planned. That uh, I was always just fascinated by the NYPD and LAPD as a young boy, young man growing up, but first went into my hometown police department of Boston. But in 1989, 1990, uh, through several colleagues who were working with the New York City Transit Police and the subway system in a separate department. Uh, they were looking for a new chief, and they suggested they were consulting at that time with uh, uh, Bob Kiley, chairman yeah. of the MCA. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Bob knew me from uh, Boston days that Bill Bratton might be available. Uh, they made an offer. I accepted the offer, uh, uh, Cindy, uh, in all honesty, with the idea that if I can get into the transit police, it's like an off-Broadway production. Maybe they might have a chance to get on Broadway with the NYPD. Yeah. And it worked out. I, I gained enough visibility and notoriety, particularly uh, Mayor Giuliani, who had just lost the first election to Dave Dinkins, was aware of me and the success we had in the subway reducing crime, interviewed me uh, 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 when he was elected mayor and decided he wanted to be as his first police commissioner in 1994. So it's uh, dreams do come true. And then a few years later, I had the opportunity to also go to Los Angeles, become the chief of police out there. So all those television shows I watched growing up, One Adam 12, Naked City, uh, 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 basically, they, they, all came, they all came true for me many years later. But you're about the most famous because you've done it in so many of the famous cities, really and truly. Tell me... When you were here, 
at the NYPD commissioner here in New York City. The manpower, the force that reported to you, how many was it then? Well, initially 1990, uh, the then separate transit police department was almost 4,000 officers. Uh, when I worked with Mayor Giuliani, the police department, we merged the separate transit, housing, and city police into one city police department, which it is today. It was a major accomplishment of Mayor Giuliani. He had campaigned on it. And I had 38,000 police officers uh, working for me. In 2014, I had the good fortune to be reappointed for a second time by then newly elected Mayor de Blasio. At that time, uh, the police department, civilian and police, had grown to 55,000 employees. So it's a, it's a huge enterprise with about a $7 billion budget every year. Uh, I had a great time. Uh, uh, I love New York and uh, certainly love the NYPD. And, and like, like Ray Kelly, my predecessor both times, Ray was commissioner in 93 when I was appointed in 94. Yeah, yeah. In 2013, uh, his case, he grew up in the NYPD. He's a native New Yorker. But uh, uh, in, in some respects, it's kind of like checkers with us. We keep hopping over each other. Yes, well, we had him on last week, so you're following him like you did in real life. <laughs> once once, once so, again. <laughs> but, but the manpower, the force that reported to you is vastly different than what we have now. What do we have now? You're correct that uh, actually during Giuliani's time with, uh, as part of the uh, 1994 crime bill, with 100,000 more cops that that federal bill sponsored. I think Giuliani and maybe it was Commissioner Safer maybe had for a short period of time as many as 41,000 police officers. The current strength of the department, I think, is around 34 to 35,000. So it's uh, much smaller. During Mike Bloomberg and Ray Kelly's time, because of the budget issues, the department actually was reduced in size by almost 6,000. Uh, I was able to get an increase with de Blasio by about 1,200, but over the last uh, couple of years, it's declined again. So uh, I would argue for all the issues New York is facing right now, and I'm sure Ray probably echoed this last week when he was on your show, uh, the department is not large enough for all the responsibilities it has. Of course it's not large enough. Of course it's not large enough. Neither are the idiot mayors we've been having lately. So your estimate, how, when, will, how will this crime wave ever stop? Unfortunately, it will not stop any time in the near future. Over the last couple of months, they've had some success reducing the homicides and murders by 8 or 10%, but that's versus last year's figures. If you go back to 1920, uh, the numbers are still much higher than back in those days. In 2018, 2018 was the safest year in the history of New York for crime that uh, there were fewer than 100,000 reported serious crimes, about 300-some-odd murders, safest year ever. And then the next year, uh, legislature in Albany screwed it all up, and it remains screwed up with the criminal justice reform. The uh, current crime wave that we're dealing with, blame it on New York politicians because they created it. Yes. The police department yes, was yes. doing a phenomenal job yes. reducing crime and disorder. And the legislature, uh, the governor, the mayors, they just screwed it up to a fairly well. What is a way to protect the small shops? You know, if I walk on Madison Avenue, half of it is partially boarded up. 
They're not even showing their shops. They're all so scared. How is a way even to protect those little shops? That's a long, that's going to be the long road back that uh, I was very excited during my time living in New York, particularly working back with Giuliani and then even going into 2014 with de Blasio through 2018. Uh, I love the idea that the steel grates had disappeared in many areas of the city. You had now had windows that had displays in them, Soho, Madison Avenue. Uh, well, the steel grates are coming back again. The empty storefronts you talk about that oftentimes have their own resident homeless person living in the doorway. Uh, some of that's a combination of, unfortunately, coronavirus. Some of it's the legacy of some of the George Floyd riots after uh, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, a lot of it now is a direct result of the legislative actions that uh, they took with criminal justice reform with. Uh, if you, you Basically, you can win a shoplift over and over and over again, and the district attorneys are not going to prosecute you for it uh, because the laws will change that you, you literally, uh, if you steal under, I think it's like $800 or $900, uh, it's, you're not going to be arrested for it. So there's no punishment for so many crimes now. So if you're not going to be punished, what's a deterrent? And Listen. uh, so it's a t- tough times and not just New York, uh, California and other state, Los Angeles, San Francisco, a lot of cities have become uh, looney tunes in the sense that, the legislatures and political leadership uh, focus more on enabling criminals instead of enabling the police to stop the criminals. Actually, I think that half the politicians in Albany should be on parole. Actually, that's what I think. And you know, I. Oh, well, there's actually there's actually quite a few of them that are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know that. I live in an apartment that was once owned by Doris Duke. She had her windows all chained up. She had a machine where if you press the button, gates came down at night over every window because she lived on the top floor. So that's going to come back. I think it's going to come back. And now we need actually cops stationed on every district, civilian captains on each block. Isn't that what's going to happen? What's a way to protect the people? Well, the reality is that the uh, police force, are not enough of them, uh, they rely very heavily on the partnerships with the various communities, the citizens, the people that see something, say something. Uh, but public safety is really the idea that uh, I tried to create, I think Greg, Greg Kelly and the other commissioners tried to create an environment where the public didn't have to become the cops, that they could rely on the department to protect them. But the politicians in this state have reduced the abilities of the police so phenomenally to protect the public as well as protect themselves. Uh, police officers with the laws in this state have a hard time protecting themselves against the criminals for fear of being sued and uh, for wrongful arrest. It's a, uh, it's, it's a mess, I guess, is the only word we can use to describe it. And it's going to take quite a while to straighten it out because the people who created the mess are still in the kitchen. And they're still stewing up even more of a mess. But, but what is a way to protect the people? 
Some of us are even afraid to walk out alone at night. I mean, this is our city. We've gone to nightclubs. We've gone to dinners. We've gone to a hairdresser. We're not even willing to walk on the street in the afternoon, even in the daytime. Is there some gimmick or way for ladies alone on the streets to protect themselves? That's, that's understandable. Uh, my own wife was assaulted at 11.30 in the morning at 57th and 3rd Avenue uh, uh, on a very crowded corner on a very busy day uh, recently. And you know, in terms of uh, the, the fear level in the city has increased dramatically. And uh, the fear is talked about. It's felt. And there's good reason for it, that you have so many uh, 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 emotionally disturbed people on the streets that make up a large part of the homeless population we see on the streets and the subways. And there again is where the legislature, the political leadership has failed us that uh, uh, former Governor Cuomo during his time uh, reduced the number of beds where you could basically, a judge could put a severely emotionally disturbed person into custodial care. Uh, In the state of New York, I think we have close to uh, about a thousand beds in a state of 16 or 18 million people the severely emotionally disturbed people to be basically put into custody. Not enough, not enough at all, but they've refused to basically expand that capability and capacity. Uh, it's just another example of where the political leadership continues to fail the public. But ultimately, Cindy, who do we blame? Basically, the public, the voters have to blame themselves because who votes these people into office? Uh, basically, the public. So Ed Koch had a famous saying, I'm sure you remember it, when he lost his last election and he was asked about it. Yeah, yeah. And he said, yeah. the people have spoken, now they must be punished. Well, New Yorkers are really being punished by the cast of characters that they've put into office these last few years. And they're going to continue to get punished until they find other people to elect who basically will return the city to some degree of sanity and centrality. I'm agreeing with you totally. And if anybody has just tuned in, I'm talking to Bill Bratton. Talk to me about the Second Amendment and carrying guns. I don't understand that. Tell me what is happening to me. What is happening to our country? What is happening to our government? Ironically, New York, uh, along with California, my former state of Boston, had very tough gun control laws. They were known for it. But, uh, and they worked for many years. And if you were caught carrying a gun or using a gun, you were going to go to jail. That was the reality of it, mandatory sentencing. But uh, legislature and their wisdom back in 2019 with criminal justice reform changed a lot of the laws relative to being able to hold somebody on bail for gun offenses, changing the punishment for gun offenses. So that the gun violence we are experiencing right now in this city was precipitated and caused largely by the legislature changing the laws where district attorneys, even if they wanted to, let's face it, a number of our district attorneys, particularly the district attorney in Manhattan, don't want to put people in jail. They're going to risk the rest of the population by giving these people second chance, third chance, fourth chance. I'm sorry, if you're caught with a gun committing a crime, you need to be punished. You need to go to jail for a period of time. No, absolutely. And we've, absolutely. we've lost that ability. So it's, no, it's understandable why gun crime has gone up. Relative to the court decision yesterday by the Supreme Court, uh, New York City, New York State, California, six other states will be very much affected by that ruling because we had tough 
gun control laws, even though in this state politicians have not been allowing law enforcement to use them recently. But what it will now do is uh, pretty much require us to rewrite all the rules and regulations about uh, anybody, law-abiding citizen, can now apply for a permit. There'll be uh, certain uh, restrictions to get that uh, criminal background check, mental history check, uh, maybe some prohibitions or uh, maybe some ideas that you have to uh, basically go through training to get it. But in any event, for the time being, nothing will change till they work out these rules and regulations. But as much as the legislature has messed up everything else with criminal justice reform, they will probably mess up the new rules and regulations for gun control. Because they may put new regulations in, but then they don't want to enforce them. So going forward, uh, I don't think we're going to have uh, 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 this idea is going to be the Wild West out there. But I think we will see potentially more violence uh, with yeah. guns, unfortunately yeah. committed by law-abiding citizens who, in a moment of passion, road rage, domestic violence, more suicide, certainly with more guns in the home. And uh, the criminals, let's face it, they never applied for a permit in the first place. They just went out, stole a gun, got a gun, and used it. So uh, the criminal population is not going to increase, but uh, the inappropriate use of guns by the law-abiding population, we're undoubtedly going to see some increase in those types of incidents. But stop and frisk has been decreed okay. It has been decreed constitutional, and it worked, Mm -hmm. did it not? It did, and it's basically the the secret to that is how to apply it and how to apply it appropriately. Uh, This is where Commissioner Kelly and I had a major disagreement that uh, in, in the sense that he really felt in Mayor Bloomberg that the success in keeping crime down was with a widespread use of stop, question, and frisk. I did not believe that it was necessary to have as much of it as they had. And during my time, we reduced it fairly dramatically. And what happened, crime continued to go down for the three years I was commissioner. So it's a balancing act. It's a the idea of train your officers appropriately, supervise them. But at the same, it's like going to a doctor for medicine. You don't want to go to a doctor that's going to give you too much chemo or radiation. Uh, you want it to give you the right amount to cure your cancer. And the same thing with stop, question, frisk, or any of our laws. You want to have the right amount uh, so you don't effectively make the patient uh, make the patient sicker, if you will. So you're correct, though, that there's a real misunderstanding that people think that stop, question, and frisk was done away with. It, it has not been. It's an essential tool. You cannot police without it. Uh, but the challenge is to always do it constitutionally, to always do it within the law. So it's here to stay. And it can be moderated up or down depending on the, the crime circumstance. Okay. But there's so much misunderstanding, so much misunderstanding about it, about it. Look, transit cops cannot do the job. Transit cops need more training. Subways intensify patrols on subways. It's the artery that our city survives on, and the ridership is down hugely. People are afraid to ride it. What is the way? to protect our subways? Well, some of it's being done. They've put more offices into the subway system. Still not as many as I had to work with back in the early 90s, but we had a lot more crime back then. You still have too much crime now, but back then we had so much more crime. Uh, But some of the technology will help. They're talking about something I advocated when I was commissioner the last time about putting cameras onto the subway cars. 
The type cameras they're putting on, however, if I understand it, will just record an incident that you can review it afterwards. I would advocate for putting cameras that can be monitored real time from a control room or from the conductor's cab, for that matter, as the train is riding along between stations. So slowly improving the technology, also in the sense of uh, uh, giving the police the ability to effectively deal with fear evasion, deal with disorder. The district attorney still do not want to, Bragg and several of the others, prosecute people for fear evasion. Uh, and, you know, the idea is that it's a minor theft of service. I'm sorry, the turnaround of crime in the 1990s began in the subway when we started enforcing the rules. And we turned them out. And Giuliani noticed, according to me as commissioner, and we used the same tactics in the streets, continued by Safer, continued by Kelly, continued by me again. And it worked until 2018 when the legislature and these, some of these newly elected DAs screwed it up to a fairly well. No, I, I understand that. I understand de Blasio helped to create this problem. I am also not thrilled with our current mayor who goes to California to have a dinner with Paris Hilton. He says that was to help New York. Really? Paris Hilton was going to help New York? You want to help New York? Let him take Paris Hilton to bed I don't understand half of these people we have elected. I also don't understand the training that a motorman on the subway gets. Shouldn't there be some electricity operation to stop a train if someone's fallen or pushed onto the track? The uh, issue you're talking about is that poor soul that was dragged the other day when a switch got caught between the car and the platform. Uh, that clearly was a, an egregious uh, error on the part of that conductor who effectively is uh, supposed to keep an eye on the platform. Uh, one, he looks at the lights over the doors to make sure that the doors are closed. But in this case, the door is closed, but the young man's foot was caught between yeah, the car and the platform. So that's where the conductor, if he had done what he was supposed to do, basically watched as the train began in motion. If he, he should have seen that uh, young man. Although some station platforms, Cindy, you know, because you walked over the subways for years as I did, the curve in some of the stations is such that even from the conductor car, you can't see the curve in these 10-car trains, which is a, a major defect. But uh, it's unfortunate that the uh, system has as many tragedies as it does, but a lot of that can be rectified with better, better technology and better training. Well, tell me how you get cops to join the NYPD. How do you get more to sign on when the police academy is having trouble recruiting? Well, the good news is, is the NYPD historically has never had a problem recruiting enough officers to fulfill uh, their vacancies. What happened, however, during the coronavirus uh, 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 pandemic was that we stopped giving the tests stop the hiring process. So the pool of candidates has now been reduced dramatically from what we normally have of 25 or 30,000. So they are in the process of formulating the new exams, but by the time they give the new exams, get the kids through the exam, start screening them, you're talking a year-long process. So it's not so much that the uh, department doesn't have enough candidates, it's one that the city council, this city council, will not support hiring more police. As we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, the department is down about 1,200 officers from what it was. Yeah. Remember when they defunded the police back in 20, 
2021, and the department was reduced by about 1,200 cops during that defunding. Uh, they never hired them back. So the issue is not lack of candidates, but it's actually lack of budget authority to hire those candidates. You know, I totally agree with you. And robberies are up 50%. Midtown is up over 80%. Our streets are dirty. Our stores are closed. Our mayor's going to Hollywood parties and wearing dress-up costumes. I just don't understand what we are going to do. I don't understand how we are going to solve it. What mostly in your time were your problems, Bill? What problems did you have as our police commissioner? As you know, as you know we had no shortage of them back in the 90s or even as recently as 2014. Uh, a lot of them were political problems. Uh, uh, even myself and Giuliani, while we shared a great success story, we had we had our issues. And uh, so for problems... Uh, uh, for a lot of my police career, we're getting appropriate funding to hire enough cops, enough technology. Ironically, in my last time as commissioner, 2014, for the three years I was commissioner, for the first time in my career, I had unlimited funding that uh, as much as we may criticize Ahmed Blasio about some of the things that went on during his time as mayor, during my time with him that uh, he was very generous to the department in terms of the money for equipment, training, hiring of more police officers. But where it went astray was basically those changes in the laws I'm talking about, the idea of, uh, we talked earlier about uh, the idea of uh, how much stop, question, and frisk, how much arrest you want to make, that it's like chemotherapy or radiation for cancer patients. We stopped giving enough treatment to the problem starting around 2016, 2017, uh, not enough that by 2018, we still had the best year ever. But I'll tell you, by 2020, it started to change dramatically. And we're still changing in a, not a good way, a bad way, unfortunately. Okay, okay. I just want to say I am very, very grateful to be speaking to Bill Bratton. I am very grateful that you have come on the air. And I am wanting more cops to be out there on the streets. We need them. Robberies are up. Midtown is down. We are in terrible trouble. And I thank you very, very much, Bill Bratton, for coming on the air with me. I love you. Thank you. Thank you for beating the drum for more cops. Hopefully your listeners will uh, basically join the band and beat on their drums also. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Bye, sweetie. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.